Welcome to the official podcast of Vertical Life Church. We are a non-denominational church located in Clio, Michigan. We exist to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. We hope you are drawn into a deeper relationship with God through this podcast and pray that through the sermons you listen to here, your faith would grow. We are always excited to hear from those who are impacted by this ministry. And we encourage you to email us at contact at vlchurch.tv to share how God is using this ministry in your life. If you would like to support this ministry, you can do so online at www.vlchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you for listening. enjoy that time of worship and coming off of the concert last night, I just really feel the Spirit of God doing something uh, in my own heart, and it is just an amazing thing to know that God will never leave you or forsake you. You know, the message that we are a child of God is a very special thing, and uh, something we're going to be talking about today in our series, Eat the Meat. This whole series, if you've uh, not been with us over the last several weeks, has really been trying to encourage us to dive into our relationship with God, that there's more to knowing God and being a Christian than just saying, I prayed a prayer and now I attend a service a couple hours every weekend. There's more to Christianity in this life of faith uh, in knowing God than just what we think of uh, as the, just the average church experience. And so the last time we were together, a couple weeks ago, in this teaching series, we talked about the spiritual world around us. We identified different classes of angels and, and part of God's creation in the spiritual world that we don't normally think of or see or interact with. And we looked at how they operate and how they affect the world around us for good or for evil. And even though angels are powerful, God created them to be powerful spiritual beings. They're capable of great feats. They also have limitations. They're not all powerful. Only God is all powerful. But by understanding their role in the world, it it should help us to go deeper into our relationship with God by affecting how we live, how we pray, how we believe. Because knowing their role, knowing how they operate in the world, how angels work, helps us to understand our significance and also our responsibility. See, this week we're going to turn our attention to the pinnacle of God's creation. God created everything there is in six days. Everything we see, everything we can test in a science lab, everything that can be discovered or created was made by God. All the elements and foundational things that were made by God in six incredibly awesome days. And on day six, he created the pinnacle of his creation. He created the crowning achievement of everything he had made. This week, we turn our attention to mankind, the child of God. This is arguably the very reason why Satan fell from heaven. We kind of talked about his origins a couple weeks ago and how he was the mighty angelic cherub. He was the number one angel in all of heaven. And this week, as we look at the pinnacle of God's creation, who is the child of God, we could see potentially this being the very reason why Satan fell from heaven. See, we recognize that we have a father or a parent-child relationship with God the Father. And what he is to us in that relationship, 
We understand this, but what we sometimes don't fully grasp the weight of is what does it mean to be a child of God? Yeah, Pastor Joey, I get it. I, I prayed. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. I know I have a relationship with God. I'm, I'm his child. But really, what does that mean? Because I believe if we could get our minds and our hearts connected to the weight of what it means to be a child of God, it's going to revolutionize who we are as people and in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, the psalmist says this, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic your name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You've taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God. Other translation says the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. This term for God is interchangeable with angels. So many know this verse is saying God made us a little lower than the angels. Verse 6, he says, you gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, everything that swims in the ocean currents, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Our God is an awesome God. And the psalmist here writes that he made us a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than angels. So think about for a minute how powerful angels are. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Their different work and ministry and some of the amazing and incredible things we saw or see them do all through Scripture. Think about how powerful, how mighty those angels are. And now think about the fact that we were made a little lower than they are. What might be the ramifications of the fall of man? If we were made just a little lower than the angels, what might be the ramifications of what we lost in the fall when we introduced sin into the world? I believe we lost far more than what we realize. More than just sin and death. More than just struggles and strife. More than just sickness and pain. I think we lost something with our standing with God far greater than we could possibly understand. You see, man was made in the image of God. Significant beyond anything else he made. Deer weren't made in the image of God. They taste really good, but not the image of God. All right? Anything that we see out in the woods, that's not the image of God. We are in the image of God. Put us up against any other creature in the kingdom, uh, the animal kingdom. You'll notice there's something significantly different about mankind. We're made in his image. And through sin, we lost our standing with God. We were kicked out of the garden. This relationship with God was severed, but yet we continue to occupy a very special place in God's heart. He is mindful of us in a very unique way, a way unlike anything else in all of creation. When God created us, he gave mankind a throne, which was the Garden of Eden. And he gave mankind a kingdom, which was all of the earth. We were to rule and have dominion over all of the earth under God, with God, and for the glory of God. 
Ephesians or Isaiah chapter 14 verse 13 reveals how Satan fell with this pride that rose up in his heart, that swelled up in Satan's heart. Prophet Isaiah records this about Satan. He said, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. Satan, being God's mightiest angel, the mighty guardian cherub, the big boy on campus, so to speak, he got a little too big for his britches. He spent a little too much time in front of the mirror, took one too many selfies up there in heaven, right? I mean, he just, he started thinking about how great he was, started to believe his own press, And because I believe when God created man on day six, he looked at how great he was and how this being, this little figure, a little lower than himself, was then given this great kingdom, this great dominion over the creation of God. I believe he began to think some thoughts. And he had to kind of have a problem with that. That he started to think, you know what? They're lower than me. Who are they to rule? I deserve a kingdom. I deserve to rule over God's kingdom. And I believe that pride led him to believe he even thought he should rule even that over God. He thought it was more rule or worthy to rule than reign than mankind. His ego made him think he was bigger and greater than even God because of his glory and power. And because of that pride, God cast him out of heaven. And when he lost his place in heaven, out of bitterness and resentment against God, he then sets his sights on the pinnacle of God's creation, the apple of his eye, the center of God's affection in the earth. He turns on the children of God, and he leads the heart of man away from God to follow after him. Satan swindles his way into taking from man what he could not take from God. If Satan could not rule in heaven, then he would make sure he would rule on the earth, and that he did. But prior to the fall, prior to this event where mankind rebels against God and unleashes sin into the world, we read right here in Psalm chapter 8, and you can also see in Genesis chapter 2, that when mankind was created, he was not only perfect in his creation, but had a shameless experience or relationship with God. And not only did we have the shameless, there was no fear, there was no guilt, there was no shame with God, but we also walked in his authority in the world. We had dominion over the land, the sea, and all of the creatures contained therein. But when sin came in, it changed things. We were removed from our throne, from that place of honor. We were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. The ground that effortlessly produced for us and and did what we needed it to do at our command was now cursed to bring up thorns and thistles and worked against us and could only be cultivated through the sweat of our brow. The animals who revered us, looked to us to, to see that they would prosper and flourish, became afraid of us, and then we were left to fend for ourselves. Satan stole everything away from us, even eternal life. But God wasn't content to leave us that way. He promised to make things all, all things right again, and he did through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through the shedding of his precious blood. When Jesus died and rose again, he began this restorative, redemptive work to redeem mankind, to make all things new again. But prior to Jesus' coming... God intervened all throughout history. We can see this traced through the Old Testament, through the patriarchs of the Old Testament. God intervened through the nation of Israel, through his covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even Moses and David. God continued to come in to human existence to reveal his love and reveal his plan to make all things new again. 
And God chose the nation of Israel to, bring, to be bringers of light in this dark world, to reveal his truth, to lead mankind back into faith and back into a relationship with God through this revelation of the Messiah. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9, the Old Testament, the word of the Lord records this, that the people of Israel belong to the Lord, and Jacob is his special possession. The nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham were and are God's chosen people. They were by birth and covenant the very children of God. This is the people God chose to work through and ultimately bring about the redemption of all mankind. And we can look through all through history that they alone lived under the blessings of God. They alone experienced relationship with God. God did not deal with or reveal himself to any other nation as he did the nation of Israel. And with the covenants, the promises that God made Israel, it revealed to Israel that God would one day restore what was lost at the fall. He would not only restore relationship with God, but he would restore the kingdom we lost and the throne where we reigned with God under God and for the glory of God. But because Israel was also full of a bunch of sinful people, and they decided to become prideful and follow after the way of Satan, they became prideful about who they were in, in the Lord. They became exclusive, and they shunned other nations rather than sought after other nations. Rather than becoming a light in the darkness, Israel became a light hidden under a bushel. They kept the knowledge of God and the promises of God to themselves leaving every other nation in the world, every other nation created in the image of God, every other nation that mattered to God, every other nation to suffer under the judgment of God alone. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, Don't forget that you Gentiles, these are non-Jewish believers. Anyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. You were proud of their, so they were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made them, and you lived in this world without God and without hope. Paul is calling on these non-Jewish believers to remember that there was a time before Jesus came into the world where they were lost without hope. They were excluded from the family of God and the promises of God. See, contrary to popular belief, we're not all God's children. Only those who belong to God are the children of God. And there was a time when only the nation of Israel was the children of God. Galatians chapter 3, verses 20, verse 29 Paul writes to the church of Galatia, and he says this to those who were Gentile believers. He says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. What he's revealing to the non-Jewish believers in his day is that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you ask God to forgive you of your sins and say, God, I'm choosing Jesus as my Lord, you declare him to be king of your life, you become a child of God just as much as those who are of the seed of Abraham. 
You become grafted into those promises that God revealed all through the Old Testament, and you are set to inherit the very same blessings and promises God has given to his people. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Colossians 3.11 says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. See, through Jesus Christ, we have been given the right to become the children of God. And this is an amazing truth. This is an amazing truth. As Paul's reminding these Gentile believers that there, there was a time that this was not even allowed for you to participate in. This, there was a time where this was prohibited from you. And I would say for us in 2017, let us remind ourselves that there was a time, that there was a period of time where none of us were able to know God. There was a time when none of us knew God. There was a time where none of us were even able to know God. Knowing God is a great privilege. Romans chapter 5, verse two, number 2, Paul says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Somebody say undeserved privilege today. God, through Christ, has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Do you understand today? Do you believe in your heart that being a child of God is an undeserved privilege? Does your life reflect that truth? That knowing God is a privilege? Or is it something that is so easy to do? Is it something that you take for granted? Do you wake up each day without a thought of how privileged you are to know Jesus or to have a relationship with God? I know it's easy just to wake up and just be ready for that to-do list of the day. But do we stop and say, God, oh God, how I thank you for what Jesus did for me. You see, the desire to go deeper in our relationship with God, to know him more, to move from milk to meat, will not be there if we are taking this undeserved privilege for granted. We need to recognize what great a privilege we all share in knowing the Lord. But not only do we need to recognize what a privilege being a child of God is, we need to recognize the benefits that come with it. We need to understand the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. We need to understand the benefits of knowing the Lord, and this will fuel our worship. It will fuel our worship, and it will keep us from taking what we have in Jesus for granted. See, if we take what we have for Jesus for granted, it's going to color the entirety of our lives. It's going to shape our perspective. It's going to redirect our goals and our plans and our focus. This is why Paul in Philippians 1.27, he says, above all, above everything else in your life. You must live as citizens of heaven, 
conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Here, Paul the Apostle adjures the Philippian church that they would live according to who they are in Christ, that that is supreme. It's not what job you do or where you work or what kind of clothes you wear. It's the fact that you are a child of God, a citizen of heaven, that that would be the driving force in your life. And that this understanding, that this understanding would direct our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions. And he described what the church would look like if we were walking together in this identity of who we are in Jesus. There would be unity. We'd be standing together in the spirit of God. We would have one purpose, and we'd be fighting together to spread the gospel to every creature and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I heard Francis Chan, a famous author and pastor, say one week in our small group study that if we were all walking in the spirit of God, there would be no divisions among us because the spirit gets along with himself. God doesn't argue with himself. He is one. He is in unity. And if we are walking in the Spirit, there's not going to be divisions because the Spirit in me is going to be the same in you, and they're going to get along. The reason why we have inner turmoil in our gatherings is because there are those who stop living according to who they are in Jesus and allow outside influences to pull them away from the unity of faith that is found in the Holy Spirit. Living according to who you are in Christ is vital for the health and unity of the church. And when each Christian is focused on heaven, the church will be healthy and motivated to fulfill its purpose, and the power of God will be seen and experienced among the people. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Unity with Christ brings every spiritual blessing. And not only are there corporate blessings as a church that apply to us as a whole, but there are individual blessings that apply to every child of God. And there are three main things I want to talk about today. If you're taking notes, This is a good time to get your worship guide out. Number one, the first and greatest blessing we have is we have friendship with God. Romans 5.11, Paul says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Did you realize that before you knew Jesus, you were God's enemy, living according to your sinful nature, in league with Satan, But because of Jesus, because of the blood that he shed that could wash away your sins, because your faith in his son, trusting in him as Lord and Savior, you have now been placed into friendship, into relationship with God Almighty. And we have unity with God as his children, a unity that we did not have before. And this unity comes by way of being made holy in his sight. Colossians 1.22 says you have been reconciled or he has been reconciled uh, you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I want you to catch what he's saying here. Don't let this escape your mind. Don't just skip over this truth. Think about what this means. 
He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Think about all the mistakes you've made throughout your life that haunt you. Think about all the things in your life you wish you could change. All the things that make you feel like you're not good enough to be loved by God or accepted by him. And here Paul reveals to the church of Colossae that because of your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins have been washed away. And right now, as you are, where you are, you stand blameless in the Lord's sight without a single fault. This is not a future state that one day will happen whenever Jesus comes back. This is your state right now in Jesus Christ. Even though you messed up yesterday, it is gone. Though you're going to mess up today, the blood of Christ covers you. Though you're going to fail tomorrow, his grace remembers your sins no more. As a child of God, you have friendship with God, so you stand holy before God right now. Hallelujah. Praise his holy name. You stand holy before our great God. Galatians 3.27 says, All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. That literally, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a relationship with God, he's given you a new wardrobe. And it's Jesus. In the spirit, when God looks at you, he does not see all the bad, all the failures, all the fears, all the losses, all the mistakes. He doesn't see any of that garbage. He sees the glory of his dear son and the perfection of his holiness. And he rejoices over you because of Jesus. I mean, did you ever stop and think about the fact that God is happy with you? That he's happy with you because of who you are in Jesus. So when God brings discipline as our heavenly father because of unrepentant sin, it's not because he's mad at us or, or because he no longer loves us. It's because he's trying to protect us. He's our father. He's trying to put us back into the center of his blessing. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bring about a good and abundant life to lead you into the abundant life Jesus came to produce in your life rather than see you destroy your life. And if God sees us this way, if he doesn't see our sin, our mistakes, our humanity, our brokenness, but he sees Jesus, if God sees us that way, then why, oh why, should we ever accept living under guilt and shame of past mistakes, especially when we've already asked his forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we are lacking faith in our life, if we're lacking joy and boldness and hope because of the things in our past, these sins that we've been wrestling with, we're not living according to who we are in Jesus Christ. We're not living according to who we are as children of God because we're letting past mistakes define our present and future realities. Church, don't miss this. Don't focus on the world. Focus on your citizenship in heaven. 
Romans 1.8 says, I'm free from all condemnation. Romans 8.34 says, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. If you are in Jesus, then you stand blameless right now before his throne, and Jesus is defending your good name before the Father this very minute. As a child of God, we have friendship with God. Hallelujah. Number two, we have significance. Did you know you're significant? As one united in Jesus, we now also walk in the authority of Jesus. Not for our own selfish gain, but to give glory to God. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. There is great significance to being a child of God, more so than just being saved or getting that first-class ticket to heaven. Okay, God, I've got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. No, there's more to being a Christian than just having fire insurance and saying a prayer. We have work to do. We have spiritual forces to combat as we engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, believers, children of God, my followers will follow in my footsteps. They'll carry on the same ministry I had and even do more things, greater things, powerful things than I have done to bring glory to the Father. Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus himself has given you as a child of God his authority to walk in faith that in and through his name we would advance the kingdom of God in the earth, that we'd set captives free, release those in bondage, be salt and light, be an agent of reconciliation, be God's co-worker, God's temple, a branch of the true vine, his hands and feet in the world as members of his body, that we together, significantly bound by Christ, would be a royal priesthood. Don't miss your significance. And don't live a life that doesn't live up to the significance of who you are as a child of God. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Amen, there's God's power available to us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. How amazing is it to know that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power available to us in the Holy Spirit as his children. There is no one greater than God. And now because of the cross... The Father has elevated Jesus, has given him a name which is above every other name, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And God the Father has placed Jesus at his right hand, at the most coveted place in heaven, the place of honor and power right next to God. This is where Jesus is at this very moment. And I want you to catch this. This is going to blow your mind. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. 
Because of your faith in Christ, check out what Paul says. He says, he has raised us from the dead along with Christ. And what? Seated us. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. This is why great power is available to the children of God. This is why you are significant. This is why we can walk confidently in his authority. This is why we can do the same works that he did and greater carrying on his ministry in the earth. We are seated with him right now in this present time with Jesus in the place of honor and power. Think about what this means, church, for your life. Paul in regards to handling disputes in the church, writes to the church of Corinthians, and he says something so very profound in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. He says, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? Oh, wait a minute. I thought when the world came to an end, everyone stood before God, and there's this great white throne, and, and he's going to put all the good people in heaven and put all the bad people in hell, and I thought God was the judge. What's he say? Don't you realize that we believers will judge the world? Where are we seated right now? We're seated with Christ in the place of honor and power. We're seated in him. Therefore, we, with Christ, are going to judge the world with him. We're not going to be judged by God. We're going to reign with God. He says, and since you're going to judge the world, can't you even decide these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. There is a significance to being a child of God. Not only are we going to judge mankind for its sin, but we're going to judge the works of angels. There is a spiritual truth here that is so profound that if you'll capture it in your heart, it's going to revolutionize your confidence in your walk with Christ and how you see and experience your world. Think about where you sit right now. It's not in Clio, Michigan, in a semi-comfortable chair in an auditorium. You're seated with Christ in the place of honor and power. Think about what you're going to do in the judgment and what that means for you. Think about your position in Christ as a child of God. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out to, to do healing work and cast out demons and proclaim the good news. And they came back and reported all the amazing things that went on. They were rejoicing that the demons obeyed them. But look at what Jesus said in response in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. He says, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Don't rejoice because these angels, these fallen spirits, these wicked spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. There's a significance. The reason why they could cast out demons, the reason why they could heal the sick, is because they were significant in the fact that they had a relationship with God, that they were a child of God. And Jesus says here, don't just rejoice because of what you have in Jesus or what God does through you. Rejoice because of what you have in him. 
All the stuff like miracles and, and spiritual warfare and the things that God does, the, these amazing things we see God do, that's just icing on the cake. He's telling his disciples here, be grateful for the cake. Right? If you, if you didn't have the cake, you wouldn't have the icing, right? Be grateful. You're a child. Your name is registered in heaven, and that's why you get to have the icing. That's why you get to do these powerful and great things. Be grateful that not only will God do mighty and powerful things through you, but that right now you stand blameless of any fault before the throne of God and are also seated with Christ in the place of honor and power, forever secure in his love. And because you are secure in his love, we have no reason to fear. There's no other creation on earth that has this position in all the world. We are significant. There is great significance to being a child of God. And we miss out on the blessing of this significance and the joy that comes with surrendering to this identity of who we are in Jesus when we fail to live as citizens of heaven when we're more focused on worldly demands than heavenly privileges. You see, what God was accomplishing in the world through the Old Testament covenants and the promises leading up to the time of Christ, he was trying to restore the very people that brought sin into the world that messed it all up. Now Jesus, through Jesus, the curse of sin and death has been broken. Through Jesus, relationship with God has been restored. Through Jesus, even the curse over the ground has been overcome. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. How amazing do you think that would be? To see something like that happen. Here Jesus is revealing to us that if our faith will grow in him, we will once again have the dominion over the earth we did before in Eden. No longer will the ground oppose us, but submit to the authority we have as children of God. Mark chapter 11 verse 23 records the same story, but notice what Mark records in his gospel. Verse 23 says, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Oh. This power is available, but you must really believe it. You see, it takes a lot of faith to us to have no doubt. But to God, it's just a little bit of faith. This is why Jesus continually rebuked his disciples and said, O ye of little faith. It just takes a little bit of faith for God to work miracles of epic proportion. So think about this. If we are citizens of heaven, if we are children of God, why does our faith many times lack power? Why does our faith many times lack power? I'm convinced it's because we really don't believe what we say we believe. If we believed we could speak to the mountain and see it moved, what do you think we would do? Speak. Right? If we believed we could speak to the mountain, we would then speak. If we believed that if by laying on of hands and rebuking a sickness, a person could be healed, what would we do? We'd heal. 
If we believed that a person far from God would respond to the gospel, we might just go out our door and tell them. But we don't see the power of God at work because the truth is we don't really believe it. We want it to be true. We get excited when it might happen, but we don't deep down believe it because we don't know who we are as children of God. If we believed it, we would believe what the Word says and what it says about who we are in Jesus Christ, what it means to be a child of God, and we would walk in the reality of being a citizen of heaven. We would pursue God at every corner. We'd launch our faith out into every direction, in any direction he leads. We would surrender anything and everything that got in the way, and fear would be nowhere in sight. Think of the apostles. They gave up careers to follow Jesus. They gave up homes and family to proclaim the gospel. They endured persecution, beatings, attempted murder, ruined reputations, false accusations, trials, imprisonment, and eventually many of them were martyred for their faith, and we have difficulty waking up for church. <sighs> I just want to sleep in today, God, don't you understand? Oh, God, I went out to the movies, so I don't have my tithe this month. We don't really believe it. We have difficulty doing just the very basics. I, I, don't call on me to pray out loud. We have difficulty with some of the very basic things. See, the problem is our hope really isn't in the truth of the word. Our hope is in ourselves. And I'm only going to muster the faith I feel like I can accomplish in my own power, which is why we continue to hold on to guilt and shame and allow fear to hold us back from following God because we don't believe the Bible is really true. We just are comfortable with what we feel we can accomplish in our own power. But see, my Bible says I have friendship with God. And my Bible says I have great significance, that I have a position and I have a purpose in God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And number three, we have an inheritance. Jesus is always saying, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. He's preparing us an inheritance. And our God is a generous God. No, he defines generosity. And if salvation was not enough, and that's a great gift... He also gives us friendship and authority. And if salvation, friendship, and authority wasn't enough, he is also reserved for us an inheritance. Romans chapter 8, verse 17, Paul tells the church of Rome, he says, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Another translation will say we are joint heirs with Jesus. We stand to inherit the glory of God. And what Paul is revealing here is that we, because of our position as children of God, stand to inherit the same inheritance that is due Christ. We are in Christ. We are seated with Christ. We're united with Christ. Therefore, we're going to inherit the inheritance of Christ. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 and 7, as John is getting this apocalyptic vision of the end times, Jesus is revealing these truths. He is kind of wrapping up his his. his uh, teaching to John is revelation to John. And here's what Jesus says about 
our inheritance. He said unto me, verse 6, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I will give unto him that is a thirst. Are you thirsty today? I will give unto him that wants to go deeper, that wants to know God more, that wants to move from milk to meat, drinking from living water. Those are the ones I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit to fill them up and overflow out of them to see my power and, and, and miraculous ability on display in their lives for my honor and glory. These are the ones, the thirsty, are going to get the drink. For they are the ones that will overcome. Why are the thirsty the ones that overcome? It's because their relationship with God is what matters more to them than anything else in all the world. The seeking God, going deeper with God, knowing him more is all that matters. Even matters more than their very own life. But look at verse 7 again. And what did Jesus say was to be our inheritance? What does Jesus say? They stand to inherit what? All things. I can't even imagine that. The children of God stand to inherit all things. Somebody say all things. You understand that all things. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God is preparing all things as your inheritance. He not only saved you, befriended you, adopted you, cleansed you, empowered you. He's also guaranteed you to inherit all things. Hallelujah, praise God. Think about the implications of this. Think about what this means for you. This is not just a concept that should incite pride, like this thought of, oh, look how important I am. I'm going to get all things. No, that's what Satan did, right? No, but this, this understanding should incite confidence in who I am and boldness in my faith. The, the knowledge that, that I have an inheritance of all things. I'm a child of God. This knowledge that I'm secure in Jesus. I'm set apart in Jesus. I'm empowered in Jesus. I'm significant in Jesus. And I stand to inherit all things in Jesus. Therefore, nothing the enemy can say or do to me can change the reality of who I am. I don't care what the enemy throws my way. I will not listen to thoughts of doubt and discouragement. I will not give in to sin and temptation. I will not heed to frustration and anger. I will not yield to the desires of the flesh. I will not let fear control me and keep me from moving forward. I will not question my value. I will not let the enemy pull me out of the harvest to pursue that which will not last because I am a citizen of heaven. I'm surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses of this life of faith, and I'm going to strip off every weight that slows me down. I'm a child of God. I enjoy undeserved privilege as I am loved by the Most High God and nothing can separate me from his love. Not now, not ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I have a threefold relationship with God. As the Father is my parent, Jesus is my spouse, the Spirit is my closest personal friend, I'm defended by the armies of heaven, I have a calling, I have a mission, I have a destiny, and together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Do you know, do you know, do you know who you are? Are you? A child of God? Or are you still wrestling with the thought or the question deep down, is this thing really real? Can it really be true? Are you struggling under the weight of your guilt and shame? Are you still cowering behind a stronghold of fear? 1 John 4, 16 and 18 says, we know how much God loves us when we put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus in the world. Such love is no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment, and it shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. John reveals to us in this letter that as we live in God, our love is going to grow. And as it grows, the more we will be like Jesus in the world. And this is the reason that the more our love grows, the more we become like Jesus, this is the reason why on the day of judgment we will stand without fear before him. In confidence. It's because we're like him. We're his children. And maybe today you're afraid you have a lot of fear. Maybe you struggle with guilt and shame because you look at your life and you realize you're nothing like Jesus. You're not doing the things he did. Your priorities aren't his priorities. You're not stepping out in faith and doing the same works he did and greater. You're not walking in wholehearted worship or unyielding truth. You're not living out unceasing prayer and unrelenting witness. You're not getting together with intentional community and letting crazy generosity be the outflow of your life. When you look at your life, you're not really willing to lose your life for his sake so you can find your life in him. You see, the catalyst for having this fearless confidence, this Christ-like love in life as a child of God begins with what he says in verse number 16 of 1 John chapter 4. He says, we know how much God loves us, therefore we've put our trust in his love. We know how much God loves us. He sent Jesus to die for our sins. And so we trust in his love. And we know who we are in Jesus. We are his children. And that understanding, if we truly believe it, if we truly trust it, should shape the entire outlook on our lives. It should shape our own belief about ourselves, our self-worth, our confidence. It should determine our purpose and our goals and our aspirations. See, in eternity, we're going to experience a friendship with God like no other unexplainable significance and a never-ending inheritance. And all of that we can begin to experience right here where we are today. 
Paul said that we've been given the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of future glory, a life lived in the Spirit of God with relationship with God, you can begin to experience the very things we read about in Scripture. Friendship, significance, and inheritance. Let's all bow our heads as we go into a time of response. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that you're a friend of God. That you don't know that you're a child of God. You look back on your life and you're, you know, I've done my best to be a good person, but there's never been a time in my life where I decided from this day forward to trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. There was never a time in my life where I said, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new. Because from this day forward, I'm choosing to follow you, to trust you, put my faith in your son. If you're here today and you've never had that moment where you decided that who you were is no longer who you will be, but you will begin to walk in this identity in Christ that I'm going to follow Christ for the rest of my life. I'm going to be this new creation. Old is past. All things have become new. If you've never had that turning point in your life where you said, God, I'm going all in with your son Jesus, then right now where you are, right now where you are, I invite you to make that decision. Just right where you are. And right now, you can just call out to God and you can say, Father, forgive me. If that's you here today, just pray this with me. Say, Father, forgive me of all my sin. I choose today to trust in your Son in his death and resurrection. And I make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I thank you, Lord, for sending him to die for me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And for all of those in this room, those that may have prayed this prayer, that is the most important decision that you'll make. It's not just praying a prayer, but it's making a decision with your life that today I'm going to begin a relationship with God. I'm going to pursue God in my life. I'm going to trust in Jesus. And I'm going to follow his word and his will. And I'm going to begin to know who I am in Jesus. He's going to change your life. And maybe you're here today and you've had a relationship with God. You know God, but you want to go deeper in your relationship with God. You want to begin living according to who you are as a child of God. That begins by believing what his word says about you. No more is it, I hope it's true. And now is, it is true. And I trust in his word. And I trust him enough now to begin to act on his word. If that's you here today, in just a moment, we're going to go in time of, into a time of response. I invite you to take your first step, your first act of trust, and you're just coming down here, make the front of the stage of old-fashioned altar, and come down and just say, God, no longer am I going to walk in fear. Today, I'm going to trust in you. You make that decision today. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we would no longer live as citizens of the world, 
But above all, we would walk as citizens of heaven, knowing that we hold an undeserved privilege as your children of God, that we have a friendship that can never be shaken, that we have significance that fuels our life, and we have an inheritance waiting for us on the other side. God, we give you glory and praise because we did nothing to deserve this. But yet it is your great love, it is your great love that provides for everything, for all of our needs. It's your great love that has chosen us for such a time as this to be your light bearers in the world, to be the ambassadors of grace. And I just pray, God, that everyone in this place would be transformed with this understanding of who they are in Jesus Christ, and that your spirit would unite us, your spirit would fill us, your spirit would begin to flow through us and pour out of us, God, as we all walk according to who we are in you. We just praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. If you need to pray, come on down. Respond to the Lord. If you have a word of encouragement for the church, God's giving you a prophetic word. The mic is here for, for your testimony. Let's go into a time to respond to what God has done in our hearts today. In Jesus' name. something to you guys. Um, I, wanna, I got a question for you, and this is for myself too. Are you feeling oppressed? Are you feeling discouraged by the weight of the world? Well, I've got good news for you. I, I am too. I feel it every day, and the Bible, which we believe is a church, as a whole as a church, is the, is the Word of God, right? This is it's perfect, unstained, it's no, there's no wrinkle, no blemish in it share a little scripture with you in Galatians 5 16. This is, this is our conflict, right? Every day. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of our sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Amen, right? They are in constant conflict. We are in constant conflict every day, and we probably will, will be that way until the, we get to eternity. But I have good news. I want you guys to repeat this after me. He that is in the world, he that is in me, is, is greater than he that is in the world. 
say it loud as a church. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Amen, right? Let's carry that on through our work week. Let's carry it to our co-workers, people that we are in contact with every day. Let's believe this. Let's live it out. Amen?
with you again next week. Don't forget those uh, that are members of the church. We do have a quick membership meeting immediately following as soon as we're dismissed. If you have children in the V-Life Kids area, please uh, pick them up, uh, check them out, and that way our nursery kids workers can be a part of that meeting. And then uh, uh, we'll start in here in about 10 minutes or so. So um, we're going to pray and dismiss, and then uh, we'll see you back in here in just a minute. Father, we just thank you so much for the undeserved privilege of being your children. We thank you so much that you were not content with allowing us to stay separated from you. And even though there was a time where we didn't know you, God, your plan the entire time was to come and reveal yourself and to bring us in to your family, to forgive us of our sins, to change us from what we were to who you've planned for us to be since the foundation of the world, to give us a friendship with our creator, significance, and an inheritance. God, for those that are continually wrestling with feelings of abandonment or not being good enough or whatever the case is because of situations in their lives, God, I pray that today they would know they have a Father in heaven who has nothing but blessing and love and comfort and safety and security available to them. You are the father to the fatherless. You are the husband to the widow, God. You are close to those who are near and broken. And you have loved us with an unfailing love. And we just worship you, God. We can't worship you enough for all you've done and all you continue to do in our lives. Bless us now as we leave this place as ambassadors of your grace and mercy, as children of light and citizens of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.